Good morning to everyone. Good morning to you, Facebook congregation. Uh, we're celebrating the 4th of July this weekend. I hope it's going well for everyone. I hope uh, no one else got any sleep as well last night because of all the boom, boom, bombs going off. I know that I didn't get to sleep until close to 2 o'clock this morning. It felt like all of the canceled uh, fireworks events were compensated for by everybody up and down the street in the neighborhood celebrating their own fireworks uh, finale that went on for about four and a half hours. But it's 4th of July, so we're talking about, uh, we're thinking a lot about freedom and what it means to be free. So let's talk about what it means to be free in Jesus today. I think the, the, the reading from the gospel just lines up so well with the theme of freedom, and so we're going to dive into that. Now, Jesus, he had an inner circle of followers. It's important to remember, he has an inner circle of followers who are completely devoted to him. But for the most part, the multitudes were very skeptical of Jesus, and many of them rejected him. He was not very popular with many, many people. He was even rejected in his own hometown. It tells us in Luke chapter 4, he went into the synagogue and opened the scroll and he quoted from Isaiah and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to set captives free so that the blind would see and the lame would walk. And the response from the people was, isn't this the carpenter's son? Who does he think he is? And they tried to push him off the edge of a cliff. You see, people didn't like Jesus for a number of reasons. One is people didn't like who Jesus hung out with. People didn't like who Jesus hung out with because Jesus hung out with notorious sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors, uh, people who were uh, possessed by demons, slum dogs. They were not your well-dressed, mild-mannered church attendees. And so he was hated for those who he associated with. There's a great scene in the series, The Chosen, which I've been promoting here from the pulpit, where uh, Peter, or Jesus is calling different disciples throughout this, the, the, the series. And uh, Peter, of course, is a part of the group. And when Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector, it's a great scene. He says, Matthew, son of Alphaeus, come and follow me. And Matthew, he leaves the tax collecting booth and he starts to follow Jesus. And Peter says, what are you doing? He says, Why, how could you call him? And Jesus says, I called you. And Peter, and Peter says, but that's different. I'm not a tax collector. And Jesus says to Peter, get used to different. I love it. I love it. You see, the other reason is that people didn't like how Jesus conducted himself. He did not conduct himself according to people's expectations. He disrupted worship services by casting out demons and healing the sick. Think about that. Think about that. Just can you imagine? Can you imagine? We're in the middle of a service here. We're about to get to the Nicene Creed. And I say, you come out of him, evil spirit. And the man starts to, ah, don't torment us, Jesus of Nazareth. I think many people would say, ah, Jesus, what are you doing? You need to go over there and take care of that. It is time to say the Nicene Creed. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You see, Jesus would not be welcome in many American churches today because he diverged from the planned order of service. But he moved in freedom. He moved in perfect freedom. He says, whatever I see the Father doing, that is what I do. He had a heart that was perfectly aligned with his Father in heaven. And he moved in perfect freedom. But you see, Jesus never backed down. He never backed down because he knew that what he knew, he was convinced about what God had called him to do. That it, he had a mission to proclaim good news to the poor and to set captives free. 
You see, it was a mission of love. Jesus was devoted to love. Everything he did came from his heart of love. And sometimes the way that he loved people and the way that he conducted himself in love disrupted normalcy. And people did not like it. I want that kind of freedom. Don't you want that kind of freedom? To just know the Lord so intimately, you know you're doing what He's called you to do. And it's not going to crush you if someone speaks a word against you or challenges you or gets upset because you're preaching Jesus and doing what Jesus did. Beloved, that's what we're called to do. That's the kind of freedom that we're called to have. I want that kind of freedom. You see, so many Christians, they live their lives based on the expectations of others. And what it does is it impedes their ability to carry out the anointing that God has for them. Do you know God has an anointing for you? He has a destiny and a purpose on your life to walk in freedom with Jesus, to do what Jesus did, to change lives. Don't you want to walk in that anointing? But so often we step back, we cool down because we know that others' expectations would be disrupted and offended by what the Lord calls us to do. But Jesus knew his mission. And he was not going to let any person, even if it was a Pharisee, even a religious leader who had authority, he was not going to let any institution or tradition push him back into a corner because he was going to spread the kingdom of God in the world around him. So let's look at what Jesus has to say to us today from the gospel so we can find more freedom and joy in being vessels of God's grace to other people. Matthew chapter 11. This is a wonderful, wonderful chapter in the gospel. The context of what's going on here, just to kind of summarize it very briefly, is that Jesus is addressing the failure of his contemporaries to appropriately respond to his ministry. Okay? Something he's really doing most of the three years that he's in public ministry. He's addressing the failures of his contemporaries to respond appropriately to his ministry. So let's look at this passage. Verse 16. To what can I compare this generation, he says? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now, I always thought that Jesus was saying the children in this little parable are like the crowds who wanted him to do a particular thing, but he didn't. But thank God for Bible scholars and commentators who I can go to and see when I'm wrong in my thinking. And it was pointed out to me by a Bible scholar that Jesus is most likely making reference to uh, himself and John the Baptist as the people who are playing the tunes. Jesus played a tune of festivity so that people would be set free from sin and sickness and death. But there was no response to it from many people, or there was a response of rejection. John the Baptist played a song of lament, an appropriate call to repentance to God's people, and many rejected him as a crazed lunatic. But you see, both John and Jesus' ministries were widely rejected because neither of them conformed to expectations. Because their hearts instead were aligned with what the Father was calling them to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's an example. Jesus 
in uh, Luke chapter 13, I believe it is. He's in a synagogue, and there's a synagogue service going on. And there's a woman who's crippled. She's bent over like this. And he calls her over to himself. And he says, woman, you are set free from your condition. And all the religious leaders in the service and the people in the service, they say, hey, 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 hey. And she's, she's healed, by the way. She's healed. She stands up straight and starts praising God in the middle of a service. And the people in the service say to Jesus, whoa, 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 whoa. This is the Sabbath and healing is work. And this service is not for healing. You have six other days of the week which you can do your little healing thing, Jesus. Why don't you go do it on those other six days? Don't disrupt the Sabbath service in the synagogue. This is literally what they said to him. You can do it any other day of the week. Don't do it in our service on Sabbath. And Jesus says to them, he rebukes them, he scolds them, and he says, hey, if one of you had a donkey that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not do the work of pulling him out of the pit? And he says, how much more would this, how much more does this daughter of Abraham deserve to be set free from her bondage to Satan? You see, Jesus cared more about making people whole than he did about following an order of service or the religious expectations of others around him. He wanted to see people made whole, set free, captives, completely free from sin, sickness, and death. Whether it was uh, boldly calling people to repent of their, of their sin, or it was casting a demon out in the middle of a synagogue service or a healing, or defending a woman caught in adultery and defending her from getting stoned to death by the religious Gestapo of the day, he was committed, above all things, to spreading the kingdom and inviting people into it so that they could find wholeness. God is a father who wants to bring people into wholeness. And sometimes our expectations and our religious traditions can become hindrances. They're meant to be a means to an end. And sometimes they can become hindrances, right? People who love liturgy like us Episcopalians have to be cautious of this, correct? The liturgy is meant to serve an end, which is intimacy with God, empowerment in the Holy Spirit, refreshment in the Spirit, right? If it becomes an end in and of itself, we, 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 we tread on the same dangerous waters as the Pharisees and scribes who didn't like seeing people made whole in their religious services. You see, as Christians, we have to realize that sometimes acts of love, sometimes following the Holy Spirit's voice, will offend. It will offend. And sometimes it will even cause division. It did in the life of Jesus. It did in the life of all of his followers in the New Testament. And it will in our own lives. So the question we must ask is, how does God see my life? How how does God see my life? Am I living out the life that God has called me into? Am I living in the freedom that God has called me into? Well, Jesus, I think, is going to help us in these next couple of verses to understand what it looks like to live a life that truly bears the fruit of godliness. So he says this to the people. He moves on in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 11. And he says, John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. You see, John was a rabble rouser. If ever there was one said he wore camel's hair and he munched locusts for his food. Scraggly beard. Can't you just see him? Repent you brood of vipers. (laughs) Do you think that when John the Baptist met God, God said, John, your beard was unkempt. 
John, you are munching too many grasshoppers in front of the people. John, you raised the volume of your voice too high and you talked way too much about sin. Do you think that's what God said? No, because just verses before that, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He was perfectly aligned with God's call in his life and he was called to preach repentance and he was called to preach the fear of the Lord to God's people. And when he met God, I bet you what God said was, John, congratulations, well done, good and faithful servant. You brought multitudes into my kingdom from your bold preaching. Now, Jesus says this about himself. He says, the son of man, it's a reference to himself, came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, it was the company Jesus kept. Instead of trying to keep holiness and righteousness isolated inside of a synagogue box, he took it out into the darkest places of society and brought healing and holiness to the lives of others. It was infectious. People followed him around to find that wholeness. What a beautiful thing. And yet, he was accused of being a drunkard and a sinner and a glutton. Jesus liked to have a good time, didn't he? But here's what Jesus says, and this is the the center of the passage right here. He says, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. What does he mean by that? It's the fruit our ministry bears that vindicates it as coming from a place of true wisdom. Coming from a place of true godliness, right? So the questions that we should be asking is, are people in need being served through my life? Are they being made whole? Are they are lives being changed? Are we ourselves growing out of patterns of selfishness and into deeper intimacy with Jesus? Are we growing in our love for and our worship of our Creator? Those are the things of God's heart. And we see Jesus living out all of them as the perfect model for us. Okay, so the lectionary skips a little bit of the passage, which are Jesus' words of judgment to unbelieving peoples and cities. And then it moves us down into verse 25. And he says this, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Yes, Father, this is what gave you joy. You know, God has joy. Things give God joy. He celebrates and rejoices in heaven over certain things. Now, what does Jesus mean in this passage? Kids are funny, aren't they? Oh, they can be little pests, let me tell you. But there's an innocence to them, isn't there? They are perhaps what we might say, overly credulous. They are gullible. They are vulnerable. They depend on others to learn about life and to grow. 
My daughter, who's four, was, my wife was chopping up carrots the other day and my daughter was grabbing the carrot sticks and chomping on them as my wife was cutting through them, you know, making it a counterproductive effort. And she kept eating all these carrot sticks. And my wife said to her, Lydia, you better be careful or you might turn into a carrot. And she sat up straight and she looked at her with big eyes. She said, yeah, if you eat too many, you might be like, you might turn into a carrot. Well, I don't want to be a carrot. People might think I'm weird. If I'm a carrot, will I be the same size? Yes, honey, you'll be a big carrot. And of course, she told her that that wasn't really true and Lydia's fears were calm. But you see, they're so gullible. They just believe because children, children depend on others for their resources, their well-being, their information, right? And Jesus says that we have to become like that. We have to become vulnerable, dependent children. Why does he say that? Why does he use this analogy? You see, God keeps the power of the gospel hidden from those who think they know it all. He keeps the power of the gospel hidden from those who think they have everything figured out. And divine revelation comes to those who are open to it. Divine revelation comes to those who are open to it. And the principle here, the point that Jesus is making is that expectations can blind us from seeing the true work of God. Wouldn't it be amazing if we came to church with our expectations held completely open and vulnerable to the Lord of what He wants to do in our midst? Wouldn't that be exciting? Wouldn't that bring freedom? You see, people have to become like children. Rest in Abba Father's arms. Trusting in His, his embrace. He, he gave His Son to, 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 to die for our sins so that we could be His children. Do you think He's going to let go of you? Do you think He's going to get mad at you for having freedom and worship and crying out and celebrating Him and lifting your hands or something like that? Father God wants His children to have freedom. Total freedom. Beloved, you and I, you and I, we're living in a, in a world that is, is so, I've never seen the world so desperate for Jesus. I've seen people just open to the message of the gospel when I talk to people in t- public, just open. Jesus says that the, 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 the harvest is plentiful. There are people out there who need to hear about the kingdom, who need to hear about God's love for them, who need to be set free from sin and sickness and bondage and addiction and death. And you and I cannot afford in this hour to let other people's expectations set the trajectory for our spiritual lives. God has an anointing. Just like He anointed Jesus, He has an anointing for each one of you, each one of us. And to walk in that anointing, we need freedom. Freedom from expectations, freedom from bondage, freedom from fear. To walk in the power and the love of God. Second Corinthians tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. You see, we, God's people, can have the same freedom that Jesus Himself walked in. We can have the same freedom that Jesus Himself walked in, but we have to be willing to suffer discomfort, insult, hardship, 
awkwardness, persecution, even suffering. You see, the greatest act of love that Jesus carried out was an act of great discomfort. To carry that cross, that that heavy tree on his back, to be whipped, to be beat, to be spit upon in his face, to be mocked, to be scorned, and to be hung there by the nails, asphyxiating until he took his last breath. It was extremely uncomfortable, discomforting. But Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, who for the joy set before him. You see, there was a freedom in it even in letting himself be constrained to God's purpose for him, to be put up on that cross, there was a freedom in it and there was a joy. And the joy was that he saw the inheritance that he was going to win. That is you and that is me. And he died so that we could be his inheritance. But not a lot of people think about this. He also died so that we could have freedom to live and move and have our being in the power and in the freedom of his Holy Spirit. He died for that. Will we take that gift and live deeper into it? Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was challenging them because he knew that the cross would enable them to die to their own addictions, their own self-centeredness, their own false comforts and find true peace and joy in living a life of risky freedom in him. And he said to them, he's telling them all these difficult things, you need to obey me. You need to follow my commands. You need to love one another with the love that I loved you. And he says this to them. I have said these things to you so that my joy might be in you and that your joy would be full. God cares about our joy. And God knows that the path to true, overflowing, overabundant, never-ending joy is to be totally and utterly surrendered to Jesus, even if it means crucifixion. You see, you can make a commitment, whether you're watching online or you're here in person, you can make a commitment today to be totally free in this way. You you can look back on this day years down the road after God has used you in in mighty and life-changing ways. And you can say, on that 4th of July weekend, 2020, when the world was in turmoil and I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing with my life amidst all the chaos, I made a commitment to be perfectly free in Jesus. And my life has never been the same since. The very end of the passage, we quoted it last week. I didn't even know it was coming up. But at the very end of the passage, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, the invitation to rest and freedom, to be freed of whether it's sin burdens or religious burdens or rule-keeping burdens or comfort burdens. The invitation goes out to all. To all who will receive it. It's presented without conditions. The only condition being, come to me. Surrender all to me. Take up your cross and follow me. And you will lose your life. And in so doing, you will find it. You see, Jesus' 
invitation to take on his yoke. That was a thing that you bound yourself to, that the animals bound themselves to, to have extra strength. The invitation that Jesus makes to Jesus' yoke is an invitation to a lifelong process of learning as a disciple who's totally surrendered. A far different thing than, than, than being a heavy burden like the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to put on people. You must do this, 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 this. You must follow all of this to keep God happy. And instead, Jesus' burden brings rest and freedom and joy to our souls. So let's stand together. As I pray this prayer, I want to invite uh, all of you, just as an act of faith in your heart, to make that commitment. If you feel God stirring in you, saying, you haven't been totally free. The, the, the fear of people has been too, too, played too much of a role in your life. People's expectations have kept you from walking in the anointing that I have for you. Just make that commitment in your heart to go hard after Jesus, to throw it all in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord of heaven and earth, that you reveal these things not to the wise and to the learned, but to children, to infants. So, Lord, make us like children in our willingness to receive everything we need for life and godliness from you, from your hand. And Father, I pray that everyone who's making this commitment to freedom on this 4th of July weekend today, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, because we can't do it on our own, Lord, it's not an act of uh, self-will, but by the power of your Spirit, you would break bondages off our lives. Whether it's the fear of others, whether it's the heavy duty of feeling like we have to live in a certain way unless we, lest we be smited, or it is fear or anxiety, or confusion. Father, we pray that you would just break all of those chains by your Holy Spirit and that you just begin to bubble up with joy in the, in the souls of your people so that we would walk around God knowing that wisdom is proved right by her deeds and that by the work that you want to do in us and our surrender to it, we will see the fruit that you desire us to bear. Lives will be changed. People will be set free. The sick will be healed. The oppressed will find perfect liberty in you. So come Holy Spirit and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.